All right. Starting off the night right, I guess. Um, all right, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll just dive right in. Um, so please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, let us want to thank you for tonight and the opportunity to teach. Um, God, I just want to ask you to open up our eyes and, and hearts to you, God, and our ears. Um, I pray that everybody in this room would get something out of you tonight and what your word has to say for us. Amen. So, all right, we're going to be book, in the book of James tonight, chapter 2. Um, I'm going to give you guys the main point, the main theme of the night right away. So everybody get your pens out and write this down. Faith without follow-up is false. Faith without follow-up is false. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll get into that. We'll say that saying a few more times tonight. Uh, but the hard thing about this, about good works, we're talking about good works tonight in James chapter 2, so turn there if you guys want, is a lot of things can be mistaken as a good work, and what, what do they mean? Well, as a kid, to me, my Sunday school teachers kept telling me I need to do good works, like obeying my parents, and on top of that, I didn't know what a good work meant, so I wasn't sure what they meant by saying I would be blessed. I would be blessed by doing good works. And when Jesus said he's going to heaven prepare a place for us, my initial thought as a kid was he's going to go and I'm going to have this huge mansion and this awesome house with all these cool things in it. But in order to do that, I had to do chores. And I hated doing chores. Take out the trash, do the dishes, clean up the dog poop for my dad when he was mowing, all that yucky stuff that nobody likes to do. There was one thing that my parents always told me to do that I enjoyed doing. And I think this, I considered it a good work. Me and my brother both did. We always had to make sure we did this before we left and before we went to bed. It was finishing our bowl of cereal, drinking all the milk and eating all the cereal. We thought that was just the greatest thing in the world. We thought we were going to have a special place in heaven for doing that. And uh, our ultimate goal, our ultimate motivation for doing that was not just to have a huge mansion full of video games and sports rooms and stuff, but to have a go-kart track in the backyard, right? Who doesn't like go-kart tracks? So that was our main goal by that. Um, but obviously as a kid, I didn't know what a good work meant. And so the word of God was kind of gibberish to me in that sense. Uh, so maybe you guys have been confused by that too. Hopefully not in the same sense. Um, but we've all been affected by it. I think of us, most of us don't know what a good work is. Still, you guys, like, I'll ask you, and you might say, well, I, I talked to that one new kid, Tom, the other day, and I made him feel comfortable. I prayed. I mean, I pray all the time. Like, three weeks ago, I prayed for my lunch. Well, that's not exactly how it works. You guys need to do more than that. James 1.22 says, do not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Sorry. Uh, so we're going to jump into James 2 tonight, so you guys would turn there with me. Verse 14, we're going to start there. We're going to read from 14 to 26. By the way, before I go any further, while you guys are turning there, do not judge me for the Bible I have tonight. This is not mine. It's my girlfriend's. They're judging me back there. It's, I, I still am manly, guys. I still am manly. It's not just because of the red and yellow. So, all right, verse 14. So what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
It's one thing I love about the Bible, especially in this, this passage here, is that it always gives us examples and explains itself so that us as readers don't have to try to dig deep a lot. I mean, we do sometimes with deeper theological things, but uh, it's easy for us to determine what the author meant when James, like here, gives an example. So let's say Mitch shows up, I'm going to use you as an example, shows up to Charlotte's house. He knocks on the door, she opens, it's Christmas morning, and he says, hey, I don't know you, but I'm homeless, I'm hungry, I'm freezing my pretty little toes off. Could you give me money for food? I'm starving, I need help. In my best impression of Charlotte, she'll respond like this, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you, that's fine, and then she shuts the door. Is that what she's going to do? Hopefully not. That's not the point. Hopefully not. It's not really going to count as a good work unless she gives him food. She gives him a coat. She gives him maybe even a night's sleep or a nap or something in the afternoon. Okay? Verse 17 is a tricky verse here because it makes it seem, it makes it seem like uh, if we do enough good things we'll get to heaven. If our good outweighs our bad, we'll be in paradise. That's called karma. Not the kind of karma you guys, are, you guys think, but with the Hindu religion and some other religions, it's a very popular thing. Um, but this, this verse is saying faith can't just be some mere profession. It just can't be something in your head where you tell yourself, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. It has to be an outward profession. If I tell you that I'm a Christian, but I have nothing to show for it, are you going to believe me? If I never go to church, if I never do anything nice for you, if I never read my Bible, I never pray, are you going to believe me? What good is that faith that I have if it's just a profession of, of my head, of my thoughts? Okay? So check out verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? So verse 18 ties into verse 17 really well, and this is a big slap to the face with a big fish to the people I just described of having just a mere head religion, a mere profession of faith. Uh, James shuts down this major argument at this, at this text right away by using this, this as an example. Uh, again, just talking about how much I love this passage, he gives another example of, of what this looks like, and then later on we'll see it between Abraham and Rahab. Our faith makes us righteous before God, righteous before God, but our faith justifies, in other words, or proves our faith to God. It proves our love and devotion to God. So James is saying that all those people that claim to have faith in their head, he's saying, good job. Yeah, you believe in God. Congratulations. But guess what? Those guys down there, those demons that tear you apart and try to torment you, they also believe that there's God. And they shudder. They shudder at it. They tremble at it. I'm going to ask everyone in this room a question I'd ask myself, too. And it was really, really uh, eye-opening. Does your knowledge of God, of our holy, powerful all sovereign and majesty, majestic God, does that make you tremble? Do you tremble at him? 
And if not, why? Three times in the Bible it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 111.10, you don't have to turn there. Proverbs 1.7 and then also in Proverbs 9.10. If you want to better understand God, then fear him. There's a whole new conversation and a lesson we could get into with that. Uh, but for the sake of time, we're not going to do that. Uh, but the, no, the more you know God, the more you fear him and respect him because of what he'll show you and reveal to you. The closer you, you grow in God, the more he'll show you. And the more of a desire you'll have to, to follow him and worship him. God will make himself known to you through different circumstances. It'll be different for everybody. Um, but it, it's hard because what, what do we fear except for God? Why would you fear anything but God? Okay? So there are many things I think we need to re- fear or respect God for. But in this passage, I believe it's alluding to God's judgment and wrath. How faith alone can save you, but works alone cannot. If we fear him in those two areas specifically, we'll be motivated to do more and more for God to ensure our place in eternity, right? The more we respect God and love him, we want to obey him more and serve him. We as Christians aren't on this earth to be served, but to serve. Jesus says that in Mark 10, 45. He says he, he is here to serve, not to be served. And Jesus, of all people, setting an example should mean a lot to us. Not just something you take lightly. We're commanded to do good works for God with our salvation. And not only in this passage, but also in others, like Ephesians 2. Which, actually, turn there. I'll read that to you guys. Turn to Ephesians 2 with me. We'll read from there. We start off in verse 8. We're going to go through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to read verse 9 again. Not by works, so that no one may boast. Saved by faith alone. God set out ahead of time the good works for his workmanship to, to glorify him. And which moves us to verse 20. Where James asked the audience another question. He asked if they are willing to admit, admit excuse me, or recognize the wrong in their faith. In other words, and in our language and culture. Am I or are you willing to recognize that your faith should mean much more than it does? What does your faith mean to you? Does it mean as much to be able to do works for God without worrying about the world? Through that question in verse 20, kind of made me realize it was a humbling question for James to ask, just to make me realize how much of a child I am in my faith. Even though I'm going to a Christian college, I'm still a child in my faith. Because of the lack of desire there is for works. Does it come to you as a burden or as a desire for you? It's the big question. This passage isn't just speaking to people of no faith or of non-believers or people who believe that they can get faith by works alone. It's also speaking to people who have stagnant faith or dead faith, who aren't on fire for God. You hear it all the time, people saying, yeah, I lost my fire for God. I don't, I don't have a desire to pursue him anymore. What's my point on this earth? A friend of mine has a friend, so third person here. Uh, she doesn't agree with Christianity anymore. She used to be a Christian 
But now she's kind of lost herself with some, with some other things involving college and just being involved in the world. Anyway, this girl, she didn't agree with Christianity because she felt so much pressure from Christ. She felt so much pressure and a burden to please Christ. Her relationship with God wasn't strong enough to the point where it was desire. Does that make sense? One of our uh, instructors or professors at, at college, he has a friend who used to be a Muslim, and he actually lived over in Iran. And one of the things he told him was, with my faith in Buddhism and stuff, I never knew if I was doing enough because they are a works-based religion. He never knew if he was doing enough to be in paradise. Thankfully, that's not the way it works for us. If we have faith, we are promised eternity in God. If we have faith, we have hope. Not in a noun, but a verb. This is a great example of what James is saying in these verses. Are we willing to admit that our works are not enough and that we need a Savior, we need to have faith in a Savior? Or are we willing to admit that our works come as a burden instead of a desire? The longest time I felt this way, but I've never admitted it. I mean, who wants to admit that, right? That would look bad, huh? If you don't have a desire to be God's workmanship, then what is your faith? Is it real? Is it dead? It's the big question for tonight. James, again, gives the example of what he's just saying in this passage by the Old Testament characters of Abraham and Rahab the prostitute. So look back in your Bibles again, starting with verse 21. We'll look at the story of Abraham. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So verse 21, going back, proves James' point exactly because if you read back the story of Abraham, you'll see that his works were working with his faith, but his faith came first. Uh, Genesis twenty-two twelve, 12, uh, which is the ending of the story, it says, He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. When it says, he said at the beginning there, that's referring to an angel of the Lord. Abraham, if you guys don't know the story of Abraham, I know Brad talked about it a few weeks ago with the Old Testament. Um, Abraham was, a very, was very devoted to God, and he married a, a woman named Sarah. And Sarah could not bear him a, a son. So Sarah decided she was going to give Abraham her slave in order to bear, bear Abraham a son, and it, it worked. They, he had a son with her. God kept, or Abraham kept praying to God that he would be blessed with a son from Sarah, and God blessed him in that, even in their old age. And the son's name was Isaac, and Abraham loved him dearly. In that culture, the firstborn son was the most important child. So, obviously, Abraham, for him to walk his son up a mountain, and he didn't even argue with God. God told him, offer your son Isaac to me. And the next morning, he got up, and he went. On the way up there, Isaac, his son, asked his dad, Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb we're going to sacrifice on the altar? Could you imagine that? Having your kid, you know you're going to kill him, or not kill him, I should say, but sacrifice him to God. And he asks you, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Knowing that he is the one. That's devotion. That's a good work. That's obedience to Christ, to God. Right when he was about to strike his son and slay him, 
An angel of the Lord came, and I just read that verse to you. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to harm him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Because of the faith Abraham had that caused him to obey God, he was blessed more than anyone will ever know. Again, going back to Brad, the land, seed, and blessing, the old covenant. Right after this, right after he was about to sacrifice his son and he showed his devotion to God, God made a covenant with him to promise him land, seed, and blessing. So what is the most important thing in your life right now? Are you willing to sacrifice whatever it is, whether it's a a parent, a friend, money, job, car? Are you willing to sacrifice that to God? Are you willing to sacrifice that for the sake of showing your devotion to God and that you love him more than anything of this world? You can be in the world but not of the world. Abraham was. He was extremely obedient in that sense. And look how blessed he was. James then goes on to another example, Rahab, the prostitute. So turn to uh, verse 25. Look at verse 25 with me. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Rahab the prostitute is also an interesting story. If you guys know that one, I'll explain that. Um, she was a prostitute in Jericho. And so when Israel sent, sent spies to check out the land, the geography of the land, um, the numbers of the soldiers, all that stuff, they ended up in her house. And she was, uh, it was not really smart of them to be found in a prostitute's house being from the, from the tribe of God, of an all-powerful God. Uh, but Rahab heard about them. She told them, I've heard about your stories. I've heard about your exodus from Egypt and how you walked across dry land from the Jordan River. I've heard about how you've been delivered by this God of yours through wars and just traveling and how he's led you with the cloud and with the fire. So she ended up being saved by this and the officials of Jericho showed up at her front door and she hid the men. She hid the Israelites on a roof so that they wouldn't be found. She then told the men that they had left, and if they leave now, they'll be able to find them and catch up to them. They came to kill the Israelites, the Israelite spies, but she protected them. They told her when she left, if she hung a scarlet cloth in the window, they would spare her and whoever else was in the house. When they came to destroy the city, if you guys know the story of Jericho, they walked around the building seven times, and then all shouted, and the, the whole city just collapsed. The city walls collapsed. But she was protected because of what she did. She was a new believer, prostitute before, now a new believer, facing death. If they found out they, she lied to them, she would be killed. And yet she decided that she was going to obey this God that she hardly even knew. A lot of you guys have been growing up with your faith your whole life. Are you willing to die for it? What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice like Abraham and like Rahab? Faith without works is dead. James ties everything up together, and that sums it all up. And again, write it down again if you want. Faith without follow-up is false. Faith without works is false. How genuine is your faith? So what do you guys learn from this? What can you take out of this story other than just doing good works? Learn that you need good works for your faith to justify or prove your devotion to God. You learn that Christianity shouldn't come with a burden but a desire for God. And we showed two examples of that with Abraham and Rahab. 
And most importantly, what I want you guys to look at is I hope through looking at the Scripture and through the work of the Holy Spirit, you guys realize where you're at in your faith. Most of us never really assess our faith. Yeah, we go to church, we go to youth group, Awanas. So often we're kept busy and occupied with Christian organizations and activities. But how often do we really dig deep? How often do you guys get in your word and just ask God, God, convict me. Tell me what I need. What do I need to do to get where you want me to be and, and to grow closer in you? No one wants that, though. No one wants somebody on their back saying, hey, you just lied. Why'd you do that? Ask for forgiveness. Hey, you just looked at pornography. Why are you doing that? I love you more than that. You should love me more than that. Obey me. Why are you doing that? Nobody wants that. It looks bad again. It's necessary. If you want to be where God wants you and where God needs you to use you, if you want to be used, then submit to God and what he has for you and your plans. That good, that good feeling when you get when you do a work is just a blessing in itself. People are scared to do good works because they, they're afraid by pride and people mocking them. You guys are more blessed than you'll ever know with your faith than by doing good works. It's not in vain. The ultimate blessing is spending eternity with him. I know it's hard for you guys, especially in high school. It was hard for me to grow in high school, but it's so worth it. I promise you guys that. Have no regrets in high school. Give God your all and nothing less. The one with six click. How many of you guys went to that concert? Yeah, a few guys. My favorite song by them is He Lives by Tadashi. And there's a phrase in that says, give him your all and nothing less. Because you owe it to him because of his righteousness. He died for you. We need to give God our all. If we want to have genuine faith, nothing should be holding you back. I don't want to confuse you guys with this, though. Because faith really is what saves you and what keeps you from eternal torment and hell. But true, genuine faith produces works. Not for the sake of proving your faith to others and saying that you have more faith than them. And not because you just want to escape the wrath of hell. It shouldn't be just for that. It should be because you want to glorify God. And not for the sake of having a go-kart track or a mini-golf course or whatever it is that you guys like in your backyard in heaven. It's probably not going to happen, unfortunately. But that's not the right motive. So I pray this has been a, able to open up you guys' eyes to where your faith may or may not be and where you should be. Just explaining this and walking through this passage hermeneutically, going back to James again. You guys remember how to do that, just to dig deep, pay attention to words and stuff. Just by doing that through this passage, you learn so much, and I hope you guys have. I want to dig even deeper with you and just know what you're thinking, encourage you guys. I know through the fall retreat, some of the guys in uh, our life groups and stuff had troubles with evangelizing to their friends and family. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. They don't know what, what the point of doing it is. They're just going to mock them and stuff. It's for the glory of God. It's hard for kids your age to do that because you guys are frowned upon in your schools. If you're a Christian, you're not going to be popular. You're not going to be well-liked sometimes depending on how outward you are about your faith. might be going on a limb here, but I would say that 90% of the entire Christian population 
more than half struggles with works coming as a burden instead of a desire. So you guys are not alone. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Turn there if you guys would with me. Kind of one of those motivational verses of the Bible. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because your work is not in vain. We also took our, our fall group, our fall retreat, our life group to Hebrews. Uh, you guys don't have to turn there, but I am. I'm going to read that to you guys. Just another motivational thing. Your work is not in vain. And why is that? Because God is on your side and you will be in heaven one day if you have true faith. So verses Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do? Yeah, they mock you. Sure, they might tear you down, but why does that matter? What can man do to you? That's just so, like, I get goosebumps every time I say that because it's so awesome. The power of God. If God's on your side, that's all you need. That's all you need to motivate you to do good works for him and to love him more. So again, your works do not save you, but they prove your faith to God. Faith without follow-up is false. Some of you guys might say, well, I don't know what good works look like, but at the fall retreat, I mean, I cried Saturday night. That's good. I prayed the prayer. That's good. Isn't my faith genuine? If I'm crying over this God, doesn't, mean, doesn't that mean my faith is genuine? Am I producing enough good deeds? What do good deeds look like? It's different for everybody. You guys' situations, it might be different. It might be helping an old granny across the street. It might be working harder at your job, evangelizing to your friends, whatever it may be, evangelizing to your family, getting in your word more, guys, putting down Halo 4 and Black Ops 2, whatever they are, the new games, spending 15 minutes of, of your day in the, in the word. Girls, I'm not a girl, so I don't know what you guys do, what you girls do, if you've noticed that, but put on makeup, brush each other's hair, try on new shoes, bat your eyes in front of the mirror to flirt with that special guy, I don't know. Are you, are you growing in your faith? What's keeping you from growing in your faith? Are you submitting to God? Are you getting in his word? Are you going to church? Church is for your growth. Youth group is for your growth. So I hope you guys have learned a lot from tonight. Uh, if we have time, we do. I'm going to give you guys one minute. I just want you guys to sit there and pray. Ask God to convict you. So often we don't really do this. I'm going to let you guys do it tonight. Ask God to convict you. Assess your faith. Don't just do it yourself, but ask God to. And I'll come back up and we'll pray and we'll be dismissed.
Dearly Father, I just want to lift up these high schoolers tonight. God, I pray that they would just assess their faith more than just tonight, more than just one minute. God, I pray that they would be motivated to do more good works for you and to prove their faith to you, Lord. That they would love you and do it out of respect for you. God, I pray that they would just turn from their ways, whatever that may be, whether it's drinking, sex, pornography, disrespect, lying, cussing, God. I pray that they would just want to glorify you with themselves and turn away from that and follow you and love you more than anything in this world. And they take to heart, Lord, that you were with them no matter what. And that if you were with them, that's all they'll ever need. God, I pray that I see every one of these people in this room in eternity with you someday. Pray that they would be changed, Lord, not just tonight when they go home to their family, Lord, but tomorrow in school, this next week in school. Pray that you would just give them a, a bold and courageous heart to want to glorify you. Pray that you would bless the rest of this night with life groups. And just be able to open up to each other and grow in each other, Lord. And just continually grow in you and walk in you and what you have for them and what you have for us. Because you have so much to offer. Our faith is so much more than what we'll ever know. And you are so much more than what we'll ever know. Amen. We're going to dismiss the life groups now. If you guys, if you're new, come up here and we'll dismiss you and we'll pick a group for you. Otherwise, go to life groups. Have a good night, guys.